This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Here, I really, I don't really want to talk about murder today. Oh, did you prepare a script? Are you trying to make me feel bad? What is that? I didn't sign up. <laughs> no, I didn't. And I was very clear about that two years ago. I would not be. <laughs> Can't do it. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Gap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. This, this, you've got to stop with this. You, okay. Are we recording? March 16th, because yes. Let's, let's talk about your blonde hair, because between you and Christina, <laughs> who I just watched Marco Polo for her, and she's like, I just chopped my hair off at Supercuts. <laughs> Excuse me? First of all, <laughs> my bridemaids are brunette and they have long hair okay they don't have blonde or eight dollar super cuts <laughs> now i sound like a bridezilla i don't actually care but i do care about you being blonde i'm going platinum no you're not yeah i am when september 17th march 16th <laughs> march 16th so you'll have Wait, time really? to get used Why? to it yeah that's what my hair appointment is oh that's so funny. I have. I think I have a hair point on the 17th. That's why I was like, wait, what? Oh, really? <laughs> wait, why are you doing this? What is this, Jessica Rabbit? I don't understand. Look, Jessica Rabbit was a redhead. Well, I know, she? but she's like, oh. yeah, I don't know. She had ears. I don't know. Did she have But hair? thanks for comparing me to Jessica Rabbit. That's kind of the energy I'm looking for, so. <laughs> why would you do this to me? Did, did you black out during the whole Panera exchange? Do you know how fragile my emotions are? <laughs> I just reread the whole thing to Russell when we were at dinner, and it was, like, so much more erratic. Hey, you got to tell the people about your Panera experience. We talked about it in the HelloFresh ad, but you got to tell the people. Or no, in the BetterHelp ad. I know. People probably think that that's, like, made up. No, this is a true story of how I – I don't know what happened, but it, talk about the straw that broke the camel's back. I was having such a Monday. I go to Panera. And I order. Wait, you're skipping the part where you'd already been to a different Panera. Well, yeah. (laughs) Well, no, you don't tell the people that yet because you didn't know that at the time. (laughs) Go to this Panera. And all I could think about is an Asiago cheese bagel. It's all I want. I go. I order it. There's four. And you know it's a risk you're taking when you go at lunchtime because, you know, it's Monday. All the bagels. People brought the bagels into work. There are four cheese bagels in the bin. I order the bagel. I'm thinking, I don't like... 
you know, there's plenty of time. I'm not thinking I'm like in line behind all the people that are ordering the food as they're prepping it. So I wait and I wait and wait, nothing. I go stand over there because I'm like, maybe my little buzzer isn't going to ring because it's a bagel. Then they lay out three trays, individual trays, each with a cheese bagel. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they must have put my order in multiple times. Like the button must have gotten stuck. These are all for me. Like I'm about to go pick one of these up. And this man walks up and I watch him pick up each bagel and stack it on one plate. And here's the other thing that I knew they were mine is because I ordered it sliced with butter only. Most people get cream cheese with a bagel. None Mm -hmm. of these bagels had a cream cheese. I watch this man take that platter of all three bagels and go sit down and eat them all. And then my little buzzer goes off. I walk up there and the guy's like, Samantha? I said, yes. He said, we're out of bagels. And instead of just taking it, I said, you can't be. <laughs> like, I, like, I feel like I'm going to in exchange. And so, y'all, in order to prevent, I felt the tears coming. Like, I was going to cry over this baby. I start frantically texting Kristen. Like, I'm about to cry in this Panera. <laughs> like, it's so bad. I'm like, Kristen, I'm going to cry in this Panera. And then I'm just watching this guy. It's such a psycho move. He takes all of the bagels. That's six pieces of thick ass bread and he's buttering them up he's gonna eat them all and i can respect you eating the three bagels i can't respect you eating three of the same bagel would you do three of the same or wouldn't you if there like, were only three left in the tub no you know, like the you last get, like, three bagel, bagels and then, like maybe a blueberry bagel like you wouldn't eat three of the same I'd probably bagel? mix it up if i was gonna eat three right. bagels which i definitely would eat three bagels i would definitely mix it up I tell you, the shock when I felt the tears coming, like, are you about to cry in this crowded-ass Panera over this bagel? And the answer was yes. Yes, I was. And Kristen is right. It was mainly because that is the second Panera I went to. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted it Looking so Looking for badly. that bagel. I couldn't go to a third. I didn't have it in me to go to a third, but. Not when you'd gotten so close. I mean, all the way to the buzzer. I was, buzzer. like, texting you so hard, like, so fast because I thought, I'm going to lose it in this Panera. And then I was like, I, I'm, <laughs> something is, I am unwell. Something is wrong with me. I should not be crying over this bagel. <laughs> but it was like such a bad day. And it was the fact that he was just over there buttering my, just staring at me. And the guy was like, yeah, we don't have any bagels. I'm like, but you sold it to me. You, I, I think that's what I said. No, I think I looked at the guy that's like prepping the plates. He obviously has nothing to do with this. I'm like, but you sold it to me. <laughs> like I've been scammed. This is the scam story you've been warning me about. And it happened. I was sold a product. They told me they didn't have it. Mm -hmm. It was terrible. I almost tweeted at them. I'm trying to really stop just tweeting at brands because I realize that it's it's defining my personal brand. And Uh, that's unfortunate. Oh, no. That is unfortunate. Okay. Well, I've got a pretty good story for you today. (laughs) I hope so. I hope it's better than Uh, that one. Today, we're talking about the murder of Connie debate and big apologies to our reviewer Liz I I did not use a book this time (laughs) man if Liz knew how much free airtime she was getting I did not use a book this time uh most and mostly a dateline episode it's her least favorite so well what are we doing here but big thanks to an episode of dateline season 31 episode 13 the secrets of Birchview Drive Birchview Drive in Ellington, Connecticut, is this gorgeous road that winds through this wooded area. The houses are huge, and they're spread far apart with a lot of beautiful land around them. 
There were maybe like seven houses on this section of the street, and one of those belonged to 39-year-olds Richard and Connie DeBate and their two children. Rick and Connie met at a party while she was home from college over the summer, and she loved that he was an Italian. She had a thing for Italian men, and everyone thought that Rick was this great fit for her. He was really fun, and she was really fun, and his family loved her just as much, and his mom said that she could tell that she was different when he brought her home, like she was different from all the other girls. She said that Rick was glowing when he introduced them. I'd love to meet a woman who doesn't like an Italian man. I'd, I'd be interested in that. Yeah. I mean. Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> and what's your problem? Do you exist? Yeah. <laughs> who hurt you? <laughs> Over the next decade, Rick and Connie got married. He got a job as a computer network administrator, and she was a pharmaceutical sales rep. They had two kids, and they settled into life in their house on Birchview Drive. This was the perfect house for the perfect lifestyle for Rick and Connie. Connie was best friends with two other women who lived on the street, Darlene and Peggy, and they called themselves the Three Amigos or the Three Musketeers. And you could always find them together, hanging out, having dinner, having wine nights. And like, I have always like wanted that. Like when I moved into my new house, I was like, I'm going to make friends with the neighbors. And we're going to like go over all the time. We're going to have wine nights. And it never happened. It has not happened. I know. Sweet Magnolias really ruined me, too. I was like Mm. watching that. I'm like, why isn't this my Mm -hmm. life? Like, why didn't I just move Mm -hmm. in and have these like. And Russell's like, these people knew each other since they were childhood friends. Like, quit ruining my dreams. Yeah. (laughs) I just felt like. Yeah. These women didn't. They met in adulthood and they became the three musketeers. And I feel like it could happen for us. But. We need a third musketeer. Applications open now. (laughs) Just like that. Like. I don't know that, like, I'm a home, you're home, like. Casual, yeah. Yeah. I feel like even now it's hard, like, it's almost like everything has to be so planned. Like, I have a few mm-hmm. people here in Louisville, but it's like, hey, let's, and I just want to be able to be like, hey, I'm popping over in my sweatpants, you know? Yes, exactly. I know. Everything has to have a plan. It was just this beautiful life that they all shared on this beautiful street until December Ugh, 23rd, we 2015. It. When their beautiful life was completely shattered. I always get sad when this stuff happens so close to the holidays. Like, anniversaries of traumatic events are always terrible and hard. But when it's Christmas, and now it's like Christmas every year is a reminder of this Mm -hmm. terrible thing. It makes me sad. Anyway, that morning, two days before Christmas, Peggy was at home. This is Connie's friend Peggy, who lives in the neighborhood. She was washing some dishes in the kitchen sink when she looked out the window And she saw a state trooper outside of Connie's house with his lights flashing and his gun drawn. Like he was out of his car pointing a rifle at Connie's house. Like behind the door. Like, Like, yeah, behind his door, pointed at their house. Peggy was really freaked out. She immediately tried calling Connie and couldn't get through. There was no answer. So she called Darlene, the third of their musketeers. And before Peggy could even finish telling Darlene why she was calling, the entire street started filling with police cars coming in at full Mm. speed, sirens screeching one after the other after the other just surrounding the debate house. Peggy would later discover that the alarm at the debate house had been triggered and police had received a 911 call that morning. And on this call, at first there was no response from the caller. So the dispatcher says, hello. And you just hear a male voice say, need help in kind of a monotone, flat voice, and then they hung up. 
First responders arrived at the house quickly, and they found Rick DeBate lying face down in the kitchen. There were smears of blood all around him, and this is really weird and hard to describe, but there was a folding chair lying on his back, folded up, with one of his arms and one leg zip-tied behind his back to the folding chair. I bet he was, like, sitting in it, and then it, like, he collapsed Mm -hmm. and it collapsed. Or he, like, was trying to get out of it. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it looked like. Like, he had been sitting in it, he tried to get up, and now was face forward with it on his back. At first, the first responders thought that he was dead, but then they heard moaning. He was alive. The responders quickly rushed him to the hospital while others continued to search the house. They found Connie in the far corner of the basement, dressed in sweatpants and a sweatshirt and wearing sneakers. She had been shot twice, once in the stomach and once in the back of the head. She was dead. Detectives Lamoureux and Luther were called and told that there had been an an intruder at the house and that there was a body in the basement. They arrived at the scene around 1.15, and by this time, the house had been secured as a crime scene. State troopers were all over the neighborhood searching, knocking on doors, clearing houses they thought the intruder might be trying to hide in. Several of them had canines. Even the media is already starting to show up. The first task for detectives when they got there was to get a search warrant for the property, which meant they needed to get information from the other state police personnel that were there, and then they had to get a judge to sign it. And they were able to do this pretty quickly, and once the search warrant was approved, they and the other troopers got ready to go into the house. And so Wait, they put did on... you say where anything about their two kids? They are at school. Okay. Yeah, thank you. They are at school. It's the middle of the, like, it's like, yeah, middle of the day. Okay. On a weekday. So they put on gloves, masks, Tyvek suits, and shoe covers because this is not their first day on the job. That's great because let me tell you how many people be trouncing through there Mm -hmm. without any of that. (laughs) Yeah, this is actually the first time that I've heard detectives, like, detail I'm sure I'm sure they're not the first ones that have like prepared like right. that to go into crime scene, but it I usually don't find information. They want to like tell that. you about it. They're like, let us remind you that we did it this way. Exact yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I found a whole article, like, this is exactly what we did. The first time they entered was just a walkthrough, just to get an idea of the scene, not to like collect evidence. It was two days before Christmas, so all the Christmas decorations were up. And they knew they had the two young kids. They were six and nine. And like I said, luckily, they were at school at the time of the home invasion. Uh, The detectives did their initial walkthrough, and then they went through the house taking video and pointing out different pieces of evidence along the way, like they saw drops of blood on the stairs leading down to the basement. Hmm. Detectives worked well through the night doing an in-depth search and seizing evidence. They did not leave the house until around 930 the next morning. That's like 17 hours searching this house. Or 18. It's a long time. Yeah, like, is there, like, a donut coffee break in there? Surely they got pizza or something. Oh, hopefully not pizza, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Wait, I don't know what you- <laughs> <laughs> Connie's friends and family were absolutely devastated. She was just the sweetest person. It was so hard for them to wrap their minds around the fact that she had been murdered. She was the baby of her family. She had two older sisters and an older brother, and they were a close family. 
Her friends were as close to her as her family as well. I know. I most have said about the musketeer. I mean, her family, that is so sad. But these gals. I know. They've lost their musketeer. They all said she was such an easygoing person, the kind of friend that you feel an instant connection with the first time you meet them, the kind of person you just want to spend time with. So many people, I think this says a lot about Connie, so many people, like all of her friends, all thought of Connie as their best friend. Like Connie was their best friend. So it was absolutely unbelievable to anyone that she could be murdered. And investigators were anxious to find out what had happened here. They hadn't been able to get much information out of Rick before he'd been rushed to the hospital. So detectives headed over to the hospital to see if they could get a statement about what happened. He was the best witness they had of this murder. And they were really hoping that he could give them a description of this intruder. Rick had been stabbed in the legs and shoulder, and he had injuries on the back of his head. But when detectives arrived, he was conscious and he was able to tell the story of what happened that day. No gunshots? No gunshots for him. He was not shot. Let me get that on record. Uh, hmm. <laughs> was that a hmm? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I didn't squint my eyes enough. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know why it's so weird that they would have different injuries with different weapons, you know? Yeah, totally. No red flags here. He <laughs> said that that day had been such a normal day. They'd gotten the kids off to school, Connie had gotten ready to head to the gym, and Rick had left to drive to work. And he'd gotten about 10 minutes away from the house when he realized that he'd left his laptop at home, so he turned around to go back for it. And then while he was on his way back, he saw on his phone like a bunch of alert notifications going off from his home security system. That's very convenient. Well, yeah, it's like, what is happening at my house? All these alerts going off on the alarm. And so he was like, okay, I got to deal with this. Something's going on. So he like from his phone on like he pulled over. He quickly emailed his boss to let him know that he was going to be late to work because he had to check out some things on this security system. And so then he got back to the house and he heard some noises coming from upstairs. And he thought it was just his cats like knocking things over and messing things up as cats do. And this was a regular thing for his cats. Cats do. (laughs) Someone who knows personally. (laughs) Mm. So he didn't think anything of the noise. He went further into the house and he went upstairs. He walked into the bedroom where the noise was coming from and he realized it wasn't the cats. Someone (gasps) was inside his room, inside the closet, the walk-in closet. Why would you think it's the cats? You think the cats are tripping out your security system too? I I think he thought just something was wrong with his security system. He's like, I got to fix this because why are alerts going off? Yeah. And this man was wearing camouflage and a mask and just seemed to be like looking around the closet for something of value. He's just kind of looking around the place, perusing. Rick couldn't really give a description of the guy because he was wearing a mask, except to say that he was a big guy. He was over six feet tall and stocky. He couldn't even be totally certain of a skin color. The only thing Rick could describe was the man's voice. He said he sounded like... Vin Diesel. <laughs> he did not. God, I wish he did. He did. He said Wait, he sounded like, like Vin he Diesel. said by name, he by sounded name, like Vin he Diesel. He sounded like Vin Diesel. Who Dateline described as that megawatt Hollywood actor from the Fast and the Furious franchise <laughs> with an instantly recognizable deep gravelly voice. I'm not familiar. I don't know who that is. But. <laughs> Wait, I can't get over the like <laughs> uh 
He had a boyfriend. He sounded like Vin Diesel. Diesel. Like, in your moment of, like, absolute trauma, you're like, I know who he sounds like. Vin Vin Diesel. Diesel. (laughs) Yeah. If you're lucky. What a legend. Yeah. So then you're immediately (laughs) thinking your wife's having an affair, right? Because Vin Diesel's in your home. Right. Like, that's the only answer then. Like, oh. Well, except for Vin Diesel was holding a knife, and when he saw Rick, he demanded his wallet and threatened to wait for his family to get home if he didn't give over what he was asking him for. And then you're like, okay, and okay, I'll get my wallet, but like, are you Vin Diesel? Is this Vin Diesel? <laughs> are like, Vin are Diesel? you asking? Like, you, you sound a lot like Vin Diesel. Are you hard up? Uh, Isn't there another Fast yeah. and Furious coming out? Like, <laughs> aren't you busy? What are you doing in my closet asking for my wallet? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Vin Diesel. Times are times are tough. <laughs> Vin Diesel, Scott Eastwood here also. <laughs> and Vin Diesel would never threaten your family because he knows how important family is. Yeah. But he's living a, what is it? I live my life quarter mile, quarter mile at a time. time. <laughs> God. And that's when Rick heard the garage door opening. And he heard the door to the garage open and he. So wait, sw- sorry. He's. Mm-hmm. This guy, Vin mm -hmm. Diesel, said, like, hey, go get your wallet. Or what did he say? He He said, like, give me your wallet. And if you don't give give it to me, I'm going to stay here until your family gets home. So you should just give it to me now. So they're, like, exchanging pleasantries. And then he hears the garage door open. And then he hears the garage door open. He knows it's Connie coming home from the gym. And she he hears the door open. She walks in. They're upstairs at this time. She's coming in on the downstairs. And he screams at her to run. Run, Connie. But Connie didn't run out of the house. She knew that they had two guns in the house. One was in the closet that the intruder was standing in, and the other was in a lockbox in the basement. And so Rick said she must have been trying to get to that gun when she ran down to the basement. Yeah, which is weird, because who's running down to a basement? Well, she ran down there to get the gun. Yeah, I know, but like if the options are a gun upstairs, get out or, a gun, or get the gun. Yeah, I'm not choosing going out into the a basement. Door. Right. Yeah. yeah. 100%. So Vin Diesel knocks Rick to the ground. He ran after Connie. Rick got up and ran after him. And as he was running after him, he heard a loud bang. And his ears were ringing, but he ran down in the basement. And that's where he saw Connie on the ground. And Vin Diesel came and put Rick in a chokehold, and then he threw him on a folding chair and tied him to the chair with zip ties, but just one leg and one arm. I guess he got bored and stopped with <laughs> what, just yeah, half like, the body. And then he, he ran out of zip also ties. Like, tied, oh, shit, I only brought two. <laughs> I only brought two. And he also tied one around his neck. Crap, I only brought two. <laughs> <laughs> But I need three to connect him to go around but his need, neck. Yeah, but so then uh, the neck. Uh, he also tied one around his neck. Hey, and no then zip tie is fitting around your neck. You're like connecting a bunch of zip ties, like a zip tie paper chain. <laughs> well, he, no, he had just one separate around his arm connected to the folding chair. Then his oh. leg connected to the folding chair. And then his neck so they were like connected to what? Yeah, none of them are connected to each other, all connected right. to the chair. But how is a zip tie connecting to his neck? What's on his neck? A zip tie? I'm not clear on if the zip tie okay. was just around the neck. I don't think he was attached to the chair by the neck. So I think he just had a zip tie around his neck. Have you ever seen a zip tie that big? Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I mean, I have seen like there are longer zip ties. Oh, okay. I don't know. But then I've got a girthy neck. Well, and he is Italian, too, so. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Move on. Look, this is a totally plausible story. I don't know. I know. What really hung up on the deets thinking. over here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So once he got him all tied up to the chair, to this folding, well, all tied, half tied, you know, half his body's tied up. He started going at him with Rick's own tools. He got like a toolbox from the basement and he stabbed Rick with his own box cutter, burned him with Rick's blowtorch. And so Rick used his free arm to fight back and he managed to get the blowtorch from him. And he thought he'd even managed to burn the intruder's mask. And so the intruder ran off and Rick managed to climb up the basement stairs, still attached to the chair, and managed to call 911. Woof. Luckily for Rick, all of his injuries were superficial, and he was discharged and sent home later that same day. So that was lucky for him. Yeah. That is lucky for him. So now investigators have Rick's story, and if I was an investigator, let me tell you what would sound weird to me. Tell me. First off, why would the intruder shoot Connie but not Rick? Why? Yeah, especially when him and Rick are up there having a whole like conversation like, right. give me your wallet. If you don't give me your Maybe wallet. Maybe they like, bonded during that time. And he when decided. When he's like, hey, you sound like Vin Diesel. He's like, thanks, man. I've always wanted to be a voice actor. And, then, you know, and so like, then he, instead of shooting him, he decided to go to all of the trouble of torturing him with box cutters yeah. and blow torches. Like that is like blow personal. Torches. That's like, I want to stick around for a while and like make you suffer in pain. Like that is yeah. a personal attack, I feel like. my Not an expert because I know people <laughs> are going to come for me. She talks like she knows what she's talking about. Okay. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> I can't. I cannot with our attitudes. Like Liz, you're not welcome here. We flamed you. Everyone that comes around, we are like out on just... Mm-hmm. The human mm-hmm. population today. Yeah, today is uh, today is a weird today's a weird day. It is. I feel so grumpy and <laughs> and now this guy. <laughs> this guy has the audacity to show up here on a Monday evening. No kidding. But also, okay, also the biggest thing, why only zip tie half his body to the chair? Like yeah, but don't get me started on the zip tie. Why even use yeah, like what is that? To me it's That's the most so, it's- ridiculous part of the whole thing because there's only one reason an intruder would zip tie half your body because there is no intruder. And once you've zip tied your own hand, it's impossible yeah, you to zip tie your other say, hand. Sounds a lot like someone that zip tied themselves <laughs> to the chair. But well, okay. You know, I Look, only brought two. Let's pretend like this story isn't wildly ridiculous. And we're going to go along with Rick's story because you have to, right? As investigators, you have to try and corroborate his story, look into it, see where the evidence leads you. But why don't they ever do that themselves? Like before, why aren't they like, okay, let me think through how this would go. The the like murderer. They're like, okay, I'm going to murder my wife. And then I'm going to zip tie myself to a chair. Let me try doing that first. Oh, it doesn't do run work. <laughs> I do yeah. a run through. If I have to, if I have a doctor's appointment somewhere I'm unfamiliar with, I'm driving by the building the day before. Like I'm walking to, so the college campus with the yes. map. Okay. I need to know where my glasses are. You think I'm about to risk my whole life on on this intruder story? Zip ties? As if you're like, not gonna what... be the number one suspect as the husband. But then yeah, I always think about that here. couple with the wetsuit intruder 
And they were telling the truth. So, you know, I mean, wilder stories have uh, have yeah. been true. Though I think that their story sounded more plausible, but, you know. Yeah, theirs was weird, though, too. But I, yeah. But well, one of them wasn't murdered, and then one of them was, like, barely hurt. Do you know what I mean? Right? He was stabbed and blowtorched, Mogab. So, but yeah, barely hurt. I mean, he was released. Day. No, he was released that day. That day. Later that day, yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Oh, that's not all Rick told detectives either. Ooh, of course not. Okay, so he also Real mentioned talker. he also mentioned this teeny weeny detail that he thought might be relevant to the case. Don't worry. It's not an affair. 
Nothing like that. Yes, it was another woman. And yes, she was pregnant with his baby, like very, very pregnant. But you see (laughs) what had happened was. Uh I'll share a song about that. Yeah. Sarah Ganser, the mother to be, she was a close friend of Rick's. They'd known each other since junior high. And she'd recently gotten divorced. And this was just really devastating to her because what she wanted more than anything was a child. So she'd Mm -hmm. gone to Rick and Connie and asked if they'd help. You know, she wanted to see if they'd donate sperm so she could conceive. But it turns out that she couldn't afford to be inseminated. So the method of donating the sperm was going to have to be a little more biblical Mm. it's weird that's not really like a donation per se but don't it was all above board rick (laughs) said in a way this had all been connie's idea okay oh i bet it's weird she's not there to talk about it though yeah in another article it said that it was connie who had wanted the baby but she couldn't Mm. so they had discussed using a surrogate but it was cheaper for rick to just go the traditional route so I'm not sure which story he actually told or if it was a mixture of both, but either way, ridiculous. Let me be clear. I don't <laughs> let me be clear to all my girlfriends, okay? It ain't happening. It's not flying. <laughs> I'm over here worried about this otter card in the desk drawer, which by the way I didn't get for Valentine's Day for those mm. keeping track at home. Okay, otter card uh, it's update. Still sitting, it's mm. still sitting in the desk drawer. So you think I'm about to let my man go uh, help my friend out in that manner? I don't think so. You wouldn't You wouldn't be okay with that? You wouldn't be cool? And I get that I'm a little unhinged because I almost cried in a Panera today. But I think even the more <laughs> emotionally stable folk would agree as well. Well, and I think maybe saying it out loud, Rick also realized how ridiculous that sounded. <laughs> okay. So he kind of like backtracked a little bit in this conversation. And he was like, okay, there was cheating in the beginning. I don't really know what he means by oh. in the beginning. In the beginning of what? And yeah, Sarah getting pregnant, that was unexpected. Not this totally pre-planned surrogate situation. He admitted it was unexpected. He said it popped up like a freaking soap opera. Yep. (laughs) That was something Rick did a lot in this interview, actually. (sighs) He'd change details of his story as he retold the story again and again. Details that should have been firm. Like, you know, I get it. You're going to, like, forget things or remember things differently. But you'd think he would remember whether or not he actually saw Connie get shot. And the first time he told the story, he told detectives that he'd only heard the gunshots. And he said he knows he heard the gunfire at least once, but it could have been twice. That's what he said. But then a minute later, when detectives asked him if he'd actually seen the intruder shoot his wife, he said yes. I could understand, like mixing up how you hear the gun sh- like if the gunshot went off once or twice i've never like i've been through some traumatic oh n- things, yeah i could like, not sounds yeah, totally not with like guns but like i could see that but you are you definitely know that image is saying, in your brain yeah i'm not even saying like the fine details like which way they were fa- but you know whether or not you saw your wife got shot i'm not mm-hmm. saying you remember what she said or what she was wearing or which way she was facing sure but you know if you saw that or not Yeah, and then later, he said that he didn't even know at that point if she'd been shot at all. And it's like, it's like he's, he's responding. So they're like, it's not just him telling the story. Sometimes it's him telling the story. Sometimes it's detectives asking clarifying questions. Like, so did you see her get shot? And he'd be like, yes. 
So he's like answering their questions differently than like, what he just told the I'm story. I'm not sure. He's like very like definitive. Like, yes. Yeah. And then here in this interview, he told police that Sarah was expecting him to get divorced from Connie. She was expecting this divorce, but mm-hmm. later said that there was no pressure from Sarah to get divorced. Getting a consistent story from him was not happening. And the timeline Rick was giving was also not really making sense to to detectives. He said he'd gotten home around 9 a.m. And remember, he said that he'd been on his way to work that day when he would turned around to get his laptop. So he'd have a pretty good idea of what time that was, like what time he went to work and then he got he knew about how far away. So he'd know about when he got home. Mm -hmm. He said he was only in the house for about five minutes with the intruder when he heard the garage door coming up and Connie walked inside. And then everything happened really quickly. The chase down the stairs, Connie's murder, Rick being attacked. But the problem with this timeline is that Rick did not call 911 until 1019. So there's about an hour, give or take, of lost time that his story left unaccounted. Right. Like, Like, what's happening in between that time? Right. Like, he should have been calling the police closer to, like, 930 at the latest, Mm -hmm. maybe 940, if you're really going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But that call wasn't until 1019. I just also, I'm not ever by, the second you were like, he forgot his laptop and he turned around and that's when there's an intruder. I've definitely forgot my laptop when I used to commute and would have to turn around and get it. The odds of it being when your home is being invaded, very, very, very rare. Very odd. Just that alone. I'm like, you just happen to like, oh, I forgot my laptop. Oh, this alarm's going off. Oh, I'm going to go home and like, what? Right. And then- also, then you're getting all of these alerts. Like, yeah. Wouldn't it have been smarter? I, obviously, I don't agree with any of this. Wouldn't it have been smarter for him to have killed his wife, mm-hmm. like, early in the morning, whatever, or, you know, gone to work, and then he comes home and he's like, this obviously happened. When, like, why would you place yourself there? So I think it's because he didn't want the kids at home, so had to wait until after they got on the bus to go to school. And then Connie had a workout class that she, like, left for, I guess, as they were taking the kids to the bus. Then she left for her workout class. I'll, we'll, I'll, we'll talk about this later. Her workout class actually was canceled, and so she came mm. home earlier than he was expecting her. And I think mm. that might have had something to do with his plan getting rushed a little bit also. When was this? What year? Was this recently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was... Like in the, like, last 20 years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like the 90s. Okay. This was 2015. Oh, that's right. Okay. Which was still almost just 10 years. In two years, that'll be 10 years ago. Can you believe that? 2015? No. God. 2015, 2015 was like... Yesterday. Yesterday. Truly. I know. I know. Ugh, Why is time years. going so fast? But none of this was enough to take Rick to trial for murder. He could just be a cheating asshole with a bad memory. So Yeah, we have those. Yeah. So investigators were going to have to keep digging. Rick told his dad that day as they were leaving the hospital that he knew that the police thought he did this. And so Rick's family was concerned that detectives had tunnel vision on him. It was certainly a much easier job for them if Rick did it than having to track down this elusive intruder 
So his parents told him that he had to stop talking to the police and they hired a good defense attorney, one of the top defense attorneys in the state, actually. But was it tunnel vision or was that just where the evidence was leading detectives? Because first off, nothing at the crime scene seemed to support Rick's story of what happened. If this was an intruder that had been caught mid-burglary, why was the house not more disturbed? You'd expect to see rooms tossed, at the very least the master bedroom where the intruder was supposedly found in, but even in the closet where Rick said he'd found the intruder. You could see like a big tray full of Connie's jewelry right out in the open, completely undisturbed. Like there was nothing ransacked. Yeah, he ransacked. said he was like digging through the closet even. Yeah, there was nothing like ransacked in that closet. Dumb. Back at the crime scene, the major crime squad was going over that house top to bottom, dusting for fingerprints, swabbing for DNA, photographing the entire scene. They found a window open in the basement as well as the basement door, and they thought that could have been where the intruder could have entered and exited. They also called out a canine unit to try and pick up the scent of the intruder. Oh, I love I love a good canine unit. Yeah. You know that. Oh, yeah. They took the good boy to the basement door at the back of the house where they thought that the intruder had exited. And right away, the dog was able to pick up a scent, which he followed outside through the door for about five feet to a wallet that was lying in the grass almost right outside the basement door. Shut up. What a good boy. What a good boy. The intruder had stolen this wallet, hadn't gotten very far with it, which lucky for Rick, he didn't even have to go through all the hassle of like replacing his driver's license and such. That's the worst part. Like Truly. The dog had his head down, sniffing, sniffing, sniffing. He was on the case. What kind of dog? German Shepherd. I don't actually know, but I'm sure it was a German Shepherd. The trooper expected him to follow the scent into the woods that surrounded this house. Because remember, this is all like a wooded area. It's like really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Expected the dog to follow the scent into the woods as you would expect an intruder to leave, you know, into the woods and disappear. Goodbye. Not Richard. (laughs) But the dog sniffed, sniffed, sniffed all the way around the house and back to the front door as if the intruder had run out the basement door and then gone around the house to run right back inside the front door. (laughs) Okay. That was weird. Yeah. Hmm. It got even weirder when the dog went right to the spot where Rick had been lying on the kitchen floor when he'd been found. Yeah, that's a problem. (laughs) They found Rick's bag of tools that all appeared to have blood on them, and they also found a revolver on the floor of the basement that they thought was probably the murder weapon. On Connie's body, they found her cell phone in her pocket and her Fitbit tracker clipped to her waistband, and they took Mm -hmm. both of them and bagged them as evidence, not knowing that they might have just blown this whole case wide open. But more on that later. No, more on that now. Now. Was it the Fitbit? We're telling this in chronological order, all right? <laughs> this is ridiculous. So police were suspicious, but there wasn't enough to support any theory just yet. And there wasn't anything. This was the biggest holdup. There was nothing in Rick's background that would show that he was capable of something like this. No history of domestic violence. No history of anything. He had no, nothing on his background report. And when they got the forensics report back from the scene, they saw that there had been unidentified DNA in six different key places, including the master bedroom closet and the safe where the gun was kept down in the basement, even the gun itself. 
The inside of Rick's shirt showed that same unidentified DNA. As did the hatch door in the basement that Rick said the intruder had left through. And all of these points match Rick's story. Wherever he said the intruder was, whatever he said the intruder had touched, there was this unidentified DNA. And I do have to clarify something. I am not totally sure that all of this unidentified DNA matched. I couldn't find anything. If it's like one person's unidentified or if it's like three different. Right. I'm assuming that it was one person's like one sample of unidentified DNA that was like the same. But I'm not certain of that. Okay. Well, what I am certain of is you did your little, what? That would be crazy. When I was like, (laughs) oh, it's definitely the husband. And now if it's truly not, you've like really (laughs) swindled me here. But if it is someone other than him, it's definitely someone that he like hired or came and like licked all the doorknobs or whatever. <laughs> like, hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because that, because then they would, that would, ex- I mean, that, that really would explain a lot of it. That like would- he had a person, like he's involved mm-hmm. still, but there's someone mm-hmm. else. There's no way he's, he was zip tied to half the chair. Who's doing that? He tried to zip tie his neck. I mean, I he, the guy had a gun. The intruder had a gun that he just the guy's shot. Got Connie a pregnant. With. He's got a but pregnant. But I'm but I'm saying like the intruder had a gun yeah. that he just shot somebody with. Why is he then drop throwing the gun down? The gun was found in the basement on the floor. Why is he throwing? The I guess maybe Rick got it out of him. But I, look, maybe Rick fought the gun off. But then he's grabbing a box of. Oh, wait, they're in the basement, though. This whole time they're in the... I forget that he walked up the stairs with the chair on his wait. back. Oh, he was in the basement, not in mm-hmm. the kitchen? Because I'm thinking, why didn't he just run out of the house? He was in if, the basement. Oh. He had run down after the intruder. That's when he, like, maybe saw Connie got get shot, maybe not. Yeah. And then the intruder zip-tied him to a folding chair that was in the basement. But But the gun... Why drop the gun? It was found on the floor of the basement. Why do that and then zip time to a chair to like go through this box of tools like a creepy serial killer and go through each tool one by one and stab right. him and blowtorch him. And he wasn't even badly injured. And then he managed to get the blowtorch, he says. This is his story. He gets the blowtorch, blowtorch. away and starts blowtorching the guy and like thinks maybe he got his mask and that's when the intruder ran off and he ran off through that hatch in the basement he thinks why do you even have that why do you even have that my man a hatch in the basement or a blowtorch a blowtorch i have no idea man. what would you need a blowtorch for why do they exist the, the creme I brulee can't, that's it that's the only I reason i can't think of blowtorches without thinking of this scene in hostel that i'm not going to tell you nope, about but everybody that's seen hostel knows what i'm talking about and it'll live in my head rent free for the rest of my life and i saw that movie probably 20 years ago so that's why he's I don't just, watch scary movies. He's just like toasting the top of little creme brulees. That's what's happening in Hostel. Yep, just toasting the top of the creme brulees with the blowtorch. That's the only thing you need it for, obviously. Oh, uh, obviously. So investigators started canvassing the neighborhood looking for witnesses, and they weren't super hopeful that they'd find anyone. This was in the middle of the day on a regular workday for most people. But still, they thought they might find someone who had seen something. And they didn't end up finding any eyewitnesses, but through their interviews, they did hear that the debates might have had some bad blood with someone. They'd hired a contractor to do some work on the house, and Rick hadn't been happy with the work that had been done. 
He'd told friends that he was worried the contract would break into the house, and Connie had told friends that there had been a lot of arguments and that they might be suing this contractor. He's not coming in your house and... I don't know. I mean, maybe <laughs> weirder things have happened, but I just don't feel like you're like leaving them a bad Yelp Google review because you don't like the way they painted the exterior of your house and they're like coming in and killing your wife, you know? I feel like this is a pretty common occurrence. People hire contractors and then they are upset with the work that's done or not done. Like mm-hmm. I hear about that happening all the time. It's happened to... Yeah. Probably everybody I know that is a homeowner and has ever had to hire a contractor for anything, they have had a bad experience at some point with somebody, mainly because of timelines. Like they just don't get the work done in the time expected or the cost ends up going up because of certain things like they paint the outside of your house while you were on vacation (laughs) and it wasn't actually the person's house to paint. Do you remember that? That was, that that was, was rent free in my head. That was a story from one of our mini creeps, our bad know, neighbors mini creep. Rent free in my brain. <laughs> yeah. Like the audacity. And those people didn't get murdered. You know what I mean? Like You're right. Yeah. Because they I had just, normal people living by them. Yeah. That just feels like a stretch to me is all I'm saying. But I'm yeah. not saying it doesn't happen or couldn't happen. I just feel like that's not my... Well, and Rick told police that they did take the contractor to small claims court because he'd taken some of their money and it had gotten really bad. And things actually seemed to be getting worse in the weeks leading up to Connie's murder. There were towels found in the muffler of one of their cars, yeah. which according to Cora can kill your engine in about a minute. I, I don't know what a muffler in your car is going to do, but nothing good, I guess. Uh, it's not going to kill you, though. I looked into that. It will not Wait, kill I was you. Just- Wait, but won't it if your car – isn't that one of the things, like, when people try they, their cars parked They – everything and- on the Google, which I'm not mm-hmm. going to – I didn't vet my sources here. It, a lot of it was forums, okay? You hear but that, Liz? people said that it would take, like, a crazy amount of time for that to happen. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't just oh. – and you would notice it, like – I was just thinking, just- was he trying to do that a different way? Like, if he was trying to kill his wife a different way before – like if he well, put- Rick is not a very smart person. It seems like so maybe he would have thought that. Maybe he didn't read the same forums that I did that said that. Yeah, that is maybe not a good he. Way to it doesn't seem somebody. like he's vetting his sources. He's doing no, no trial runs. I don't know. Maybe so. No trial runs. Like a week after that, they came out of their house to find that their windshield of their car had been smashed, mm-hmm. and they were sure that it was this contractor. His name's Ken Sweeney. And all of the debates, friends, family, and neighbors, they all said the same thing, too, that this must have been the contractor. And when they heard about what happened, that was the first thought to everyone that was close to the debates. And it also made Rick's story make a little more sense, like why he would have wanted to, like, torture Rick. Because if Rick's story is true, that's such a personal thing. Like, you're going to want to... You would have to have some sort of personal connection. That wouldn't just be a random guy. Yeah, so yeah if I'm this, like trying to get out of there fast. Yeah, so this contractor is like, oh, I killed Connie and now I want to like really make Rick suffer for what he did to me. It doesn't explain why he'd only zip tie one half of his body, <laughs> but... Yeah, someone explain that, please. <laughs> yeah. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. 
Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. So investigators went to talk to this contractor, Ken Sweeney, and Ken told police that he'd been hired to do some work on their bathroom, but that as the project went on, it seemed like the things that the debates wanted done weren't aligning with the price. So he had backed out of the job and he said they ended up settling it all in small claims for a couple of thousand dollars. And the more investigators looked into Ken, the more it seemed like he hadn't done this. When they pulled his background report, they didn't see anything that indicated a history of violence, especially not to this magnitude. Like this would be zero to 60 right. if you're if it's just like a dispute over a contractor and a, a couple thousand dollars of small claims court. Like, right. You're not going to ruin your whole business, your whole life, you know, like. Um, you, yeah. Uh, and he also had a pretty good alibi. He was at another job site that morning. And he also didn't really fit Rick's description of the intruder. He wasn't a big guy. God, Rick, you're so dumb. Nor did he sound like Vin Diesel. (laughs) This guy did not sound like Vin Diesel. Just like, why wouldn't you? If you're going to try and line it up, tee it up so it could be this contractor, wouldn't you instead say, like, you know, he sounded like Vin Diesel? I think it might have been our contractor. It sounded just like him, even though I couldn't see his face. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't right. know. <laughs> Maybe he didn't want to make it that specific because he didn't take the time to check if Ken was going to have an alibi for that day. Oh, Lord. The police, like the investigators, photographed Ken's hands and his face and his body, and they didn't see any indication that he'd even been in a struggle. And this is like the day of the attack or the next day. Right. This didn't totally let Ken off the hook. He could have had someone else break into the house and commit the attacks. But it was definitely enough to look down other avenues. (laughs) So two days after Connie's murder, it was Christmas. And Connie's Connie's family wanted to have some kind of Christmas celebration for the sake of her two boys. And so Rick and the boys were staying at Rick's parents' house. So Connie's family, which is like her sister and her brother, they went over to Rick's parents' house to give their Christmas presents to the boys. And it was really hard and it was really emotional. Connie's sister, she said that she was really put off by Rick's demeanor at this Christmas celebration. He didn't seem sad. He didn't seem emotional. He was cracking jokes and acting like everything is normal. Oh. Yeah. And then three days later, he tried to cash in on Connie's life insurance policy. (sighs) 
How are we still doing that? A $475,000 policy. I feel like that's really high. Like, I don't oh, know. I'm thinking. Like, I don't know. I mean, not for two kids, I don't feel like. You know, okay. I don't know. I'm obviously not that much of an adult. Well, and you might, well, I know me either. Well, and you might say, well, it's normal for a married couple with kids to have life insurance. And sure it is. I totally agree with that. But Rick had stopped paying on his policy two years earlier and had only been paying on hers. This stuff comes out like every time, whatever you do with life insurance or a will (sighs) or in your investment or what 401k, whatever, it's going to come out. They're going to when you murder your spouse. They're going to know every time they're going to know. They look at that. You know what I have determined from doing 109 of these? That it is absolutely impossible to plan the perfect murder. The only murderers who don't get caught get lucky. It is not because of some sophisticated plan of theirs that they didn't get caught. Their DNA wasn't found because it was left, probably. It's not even that they get lucky. It's that the investigation was botched or... Like, it's almost never... A lot of times... Well, a lot of times the the investigation was botched. But sometimes the investigation was, like, you know, decent or even good. But there just isn't evidence to be found. Yeah. But it's not because... That's not because this person was some, like, magical, like, murderer. It's because they got lucky. They didn't leave behind DNA. But, like, that was luck. You know, I just... Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, there's no way to plan the perfect murder, so quit murdering people. The end. Quit murdering people. I've been and saying certainly that for a long time. don't be claim- trying to file the life insurance claim three days later, you overeager yeah. trash. The insurance company denied his claim, and then later he withdrew. And I don't know why they denied his claim. I don't know if it was because <laughs> of this ongoing investigation or like why. But later, he'd withdraw almost $100,000 from an investment account that belonged to Connie. A few days after Christmas, a wake was held. Uh, The day was Mm. ugly. The weather was horrible. But hundreds of people showed up for Connie. She was very much loved and very much missed. Connie's best friends, the other two musketeers, Darlene and Peggy, Mm -hmm. they went to the funeral and said that they waited in a three-hour long line to pay their respects to the family. And when they got to Rick and went to express their condolences, he asked them how they knew Connie, which they found very odd. And in the moment, they thought maybe he was just in shock or just out of it because he... Wait, they know... He knows them. Yeah, he definitely knew who they were. He hangs out with them. Like, in the days after Connie's murder, he'd text them things like, hey, neighbor, where do you get takeout? Which they also thought was really weird. And... Though he'd talk to them over text message, if they saw him in person, he'd basically, like, run away. Like, he was trying to avoid them. That was their, Uh. like, interpretation of certain instances. They also noticed that he didn't appear to have a scratch on him. No bruising that they could see. Like, nothing. And this was less than a week after the attack. (laughs) A few days after the memorial, her funeral was held, and Connie's friends noticed more strange behavior from Rick. Her friend Kim was one of the last people to arrive at the gravesite for the burial, and by the time she got there, Rick had already left. 
And she thought that was weird that he would leave. Connie's sister Donna thought it was weird that Rick left in the middle of the reception after the burial. He just like. Yeah, you're the last one there every time. Yeah. How does he thinking this like pregnant woman, I forgot her name, but the baby, how is that going to go down? Like, like it's that child's going to be introduced to his like. Is he going to be with her? Is he well, re- like- he had some decisions to make for sure when it came okay. to the baby. Personally, these instances, the funeral, the memorial, I don't hold any of this against Rick like isolated. Like if it was just that, I'm not holding that against him. That's not evidence to me. Rick was described by several different people as quirky. And sometimes people described as quirky don't behave the way that you would expect them to behave. A lot of times they are what you would call weird. And behavior after a loved one has been murdered should never be analyzed this closely because people behave differently. Unless you murdered them. Like, unless you murdered them and then you're acting weird. Definitely, like, yes. You have to back it up with other evidence to support any suspicions. Because I'm thinking, like, Maybe he'd just been greeting people for three hours and like at that wake receiving all of these condolences one after the other. And maybe he'd just like gotten a script down at that point. Like, right. I mean, I couldn't imagine standing there for three hours while people told me they were sorry for my loss over and over and over again. I think I would just have it like in my head, like not even looking at the person like, oh, how did you know my wife? Like, whatever. Yeah. Maybe his kids were cold at the burial and they'd been standing by that grave for hours and it was sad and he was ready to go and maybe he was tired at the reception. I know if my partner died young and unexpectedly while I had two kids to raise, I would probably be hiding in a bedroom for most of the reception until everyone left, except for maybe the few people that I actually wanted around me. Maybe most of those people aren't his support system. They're hers and they're grieving and he's grieving and it's a lot. Or maybe his suspicious behavior means something. But my point is you can't really tell. You can't tell if it means something or if it's like not anything. So well, you I'm have to. you're being judgy as all get out. <laughs> well, and you can be judgy, but you just have to take it with a grain of salt without other evidence to back up your suspicions. I mean, if you have other evidence, right. then you can put it all together and be like, look, this all happened and he was being weird in doing this. But his behavior made everybody suspicious. He was throwing parties at his house. He was going out to bars. He was having a good time. The town rumor mill started up and everyone started pointing the finger at Rick. Basically, open and shut case at this point. But despite all these weird instances, her closest friends still refused to believe that Rick could be capable of killing Connie. He'd always Mm -hmm. been so loving, a doting husband. He was the best husband on the block, is what they said. The kind that would tell her to sit down at a party while he made her a plate. They were all impressed with that. So guys out there, my God, the way to a woman's heart. Tell her to sit down. He'll make you, I'll make you a plate. Man, they were (laughs) impressed. Wow. But he would like rub her shoulders and he would reach out to her friends. This, this I do think is impressive. Okay. He would reach out to her friends when she was having a bad day and like ask them to like take her out for drinks and make her feel better. But then I'm also like, maybe he just didn't want to deal with it. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. You know, but then it's weird to then ask the friends like, how did you know my wife? But you're right. I think that maybe that was like a rote like response, but just bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is what happened. He's like not even paying attention to who he's talking to. He's just like, 
Okay, and how did you know panicked, my wife? Because he knows all those people are there because he murdered her. Oh, God, you're right. Maybe like, that I'd is be... what's... Oh. He's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> Gonna get caught. I don't know how you stand there for three hours and go through that and not just totally break down when you're responsible for that. Not not saying that he is. Okay, story's not over, but... <laughs> <laughs> that look. This Gosh, is a murder mystery. This is a murder I think mystery. mystery is, no. So her friends are like, no way could he have killed her. He loved her, obviously. But then they found out about the affair and the baby on the mm. way and the fact that Rick had tried to pass it off as Connie's idea that Rick gets yeah, Sarah pregnant. That's offensive. And they were like, okay, we are so over this guy. He did it. <laughs> <laughs> but months went by and more months. And more months. Mm. And soon it was a year after the murder with no arrests and no answers. The community was pretty shaken up, of course. Like a potential murderer was on the loose. And that was terrifying for people not as like close that think that this is like an intruder. Yeah, someone just like broken and yeah. But over the course of this year, almost one by one, every single one of Connie's friends and family began to believe that Rick was the murderer. Things just were not adding up to them. A vigil was held for Connie on the anniversary of her murder. Friends spoke about her and they sang her favorite song, which was Somewhere Over the Rainbow. So wait, like a year later, we're mm-hmm. now at the vigil. Mm-hmm. And still, okay. Still mm-hmm. She was still very much missed and they all wanted justice for Connie. They were frustrated at the lack of progress with the investigation. But... No answers did not mean that investigators weren't still on the case. They'd cleared Ken Sweeney, the contractor. His alibi was solid, and there was just no evidence that he was involved in this at all. But there was evidence leading them toward Rick. And a year on, that's who their main focus was on. Their strongest evidence in Connie's murder was in all of the electronic evidence that they'd collected. This is Facebook accounts, alarm records, cell phone data, downloads, surveillance cameras, Connie's Fitbit. Fitbit. Mm -hmm. There were text messages between Rick and Connie. Like just a month before her murder, she's like sending him sexy lingerie pictures while he's over texting with Sarah about how he and Connie are on the same page about getting divorced, but that it was going to be a slow moving divorce to make it easier on the kids. Nothing makes things easier on children when you just drag it out as long as possible. Right. Putting all of this electronic evidence together allowed them to make a timeline of Connie's last day. And so they just kind of walked through her day. And they saw that the first thing that she did when she woke up that morning was she messaged some friends. And then she got up and she got dressed in her workout clothes and she clipped her Fitbit on her waistband which recorded when she moved and how many steps she put in that day. And she started getting the kids ready for school. And then she got in her car to drive to the YMCA to take a workout class there. She was taking a spin class. Same girl. She was on surveillance cameras arriving at the Y, but she didn't stay long because when she got there, she realized her class had been canceled. So she left and went straight back home. And as she left the YMCA, she shot off a message on Facebook to a psychotherapist asking for a hypnosis appointment because, quote, there's a lot going on right now. So she wasn't happy. Yeah. 
She got home around 9.20, and if Rick's story was true, this would be when the intruder would have heard her come in the house, he would have run down the stairs, chased her into the basement, and shot her, all within about five minutes of her getting home. But what they saw on the Fitbit didn't align with that story. They saw her walking all over the house for a whole nother hour, posting stuff on Facebook, sending messages to friends. Oh, no. All from the debate home IP address. So it's not like these are messages she's sending at the Y and they're just getting their time wrong. It was all from the home IP address until 10.05 that morning. That's when it all stops, including her Fitbit steps, which is also about 14 minutes before he made that phone call to 911. Yeah, like he doesn't even have the times. Right. Like. You didn't even, you didn't even try. It's like, you know the timeline. Why didn't you just make it fit the actual timeline? I'm glad he didn't, but I'm annoyed. (laughs) I guess because if it was the actual timeline, then this intruder, like, would have had to, I don't know, would have had to break in while they were there for his story to, but that could have happened. Intruder could have broken in while he was there. I just. Anyway, so. Rick's story also differed from his own electronic footprint. He'd told police that he'd left that morning to go to work and then turned back around when he realized he'd forgotten his laptop. But his electronic data showed that he'd never left the property that day at all. Yeah, like, does he not think that they're going to see that? Hello? Your cell phone didn't ping anywhere else? Right. He, He also said that on his way home, his home alarm had been going off. So from his phone, like, he'd pulled over. And from his phone, he'd shot an email off to his boss, letting him know that he was going to be late. Records showed that that email was sent from his laptop at home. Also, if my alarm is going off, there's an intruder. I'm not pulling over to send my boss an email. I'll deal with that after the fact. Well, and his alarm wasn't going off because the data also showed that there was no alarm what that had idiot. gone off at that time. <laughs> The alarm literally alerts the police. You didn't think they were going to check that? Yeah, I know. After he sent that email to his boss, which he sent from his home, from his laptop at home, he got onto the YMCA website to check the group exercise schedule, which is why I think he got thrown off when she came back early, because I think he was checking what time she was going to be home, because he was checking that exercise schedule. Then he searched the ESPN website for the Mike and Mike show, and that was all he did on the computer, and that was around 9.20 in the morning. So he certainly didn't walk in, hear something upstairs, go upstairs to check it out, and yeah, none like of he's messing around on his computer. It wasn't until 10.11 that the panic alarm for the security system was set off, and it was set off from the fob on his keychain. Like, he set it off himself from his keychain. Yeah. That was the only time that that panic alarm went off that morning at all. At 10.16, state police got called from the alarm company. And then at 10.20, Rick made that 911 call to police. So that's what he's saying. He's, he's been home, and then he's setting the timeline into motion after he's already been there. He's going to hit the panic alarm. He's going to make the phone call. And that, to him, is when it's starting. Mm-hmm. But he's, like, pushing it up an hour. Right. As if you can't tell when that stuff happened. Right. 
This tells police that Rick was home that morning, and after she got home from the Y, he spent the next hour working up the courage to lure her down to the basement and shoot her. And then he staged the scene, including his own attack, which, which was all by the superficial way, he did a terrible wounds. job. Yeah, all yeah. superficial wounds. They also found other evidence of trouble in their marriage, like they found a note in Connie's phone from a year before the murder titled Why I Want a Divorce, and it was mm. a whole list of things. Like that he takes money from a lot of accounts that don't belong to him, that he's an unfit parent, that he's uncaring towards her, that he doesn't come home on time, that he acts like a kid constantly. I mean, these are like, I don't know, these are like very childish, immature things, not like violent, you know, but annoying. But yeah, not like where I'd be like, can you get out of there now? Like she's feeling like she's his mother, kind of, you know. The day before she was killed, Connie sent Rick angry texts about how she just had to spend two hours on the phone with Comcast, which is a internet TV co- or internet TV provider. internet company for, for our overseas people, to find out why their bill doubled, only to find out that it was because he'd added sports channels to the package. Oh, I was like, dirty movies. Oh, yeah. Sports. Okay. She accuses him in these text messages of lying and says that once again, she's had to clean up his mess. And her last text to him told him to have a great day off and Merry effing Christmas. That's what you want. And that is right before, like, the day before she's texting her therapist to get a hypnosis appointment because she's got a lot going on right now. And then it was Good Friday 2017, almost a year and a half since Connie's murder, when investigators finally went to arrest Rick. There were so many police cars at the house that it looked very similar to the day that Connie had been Mm -hmm. murdered. They arrested Rick and charged him with Connie's murder. His sons went to live with Connie's older sister, and Rick's family was totally devastated. They didn't believe for a second that he'd done this. They had total faith in his story about the intruder. And to them, the way they saw it, Rick had now lost everything. His wife, his kids, his job. And now potentially his freedom, and they were really scared. I do feel so bad for those families because mm-hmm. I imagine you do really believe, mm-hmm. like, if I'm his like mom or aunt mm-hmm. or whatever, I'm believing that like, I'm this not. Is right, I, yeah, I'm not are... thinking there's even a, an option that he murdered her. Right, like I'm not even if his story isn't fitting. I believe him. I'm believing him. If I'm his family member, and I do always feel bad for like the unless they've cause some like childhood trauma to them you know but like right the parents that then like they go to work and your son's a murder and it's all over the news you know and it's like like scott peterson's no poor tra- mom that just got like yeah, so harassed sister. it was terrible right. and it's like you didn't i don't know that's she didn't really, do and then that, of course yeah. these boys i'm like okay so not only was their mom murdered but then they were murdered by their dad so they basically have no parents mm-hmm. you know like they're mm-hmm. how do they reconcile that Ugh. Yeah. And for what? So you can have an affair? Like, just get a divorce. Just get a divorce. Like, just get a divorce. It's very confusing. I mean, I'm sure there was, like, financial motivations as well yeah. and, you know, things like that. But I know it's not that easy. I know I'm oversimplifying it. But, like, I'm also not, you know? Like, there's there's other options than just, like, murdering your wife when you... Yeah. Murder should not be an op- it's not an option so get right. that one out of your head and figure out a solution to your problem own up to your mistakes 
insert better help ad. (laughs) (laughs) Murder is not an option. Yeah. Seek help. And his family had every reason to be scared because investigators and the DA's office had spent the last year and a half building a case that they thought they would win. They had the affair, the baby, the inconsistent stories, the electronics evidence. But now they also had witnesses. They had the few people that Rick had told about Sarah and the baby who all told investigators that Rick had been really concerned about a divorce. A divorce to Rick meant that he would lose his friends and his family and that he was feeling a lot of pressure about that in the weeks leading up to the murder. And it was looking like Rick started to see Connie as an obstacle in his path and that murdering her would solve the problem. But look how that turned out for you. (laughs) But for years, the trial kept getting pushed back and pushed back. For three years, Connie's family and friends. I... I'm not sure why I am thinking he had one of the top defense attorneys in the state that kept finding reasons Mm. to delay, delay, delay. Got it. And so for three years, Connie's family and friends had to deal with Rick being out on bail while they kept waiting and waiting for the trial to start. And I'm sure they just started to wonder if it would ever even happen, if he'd ever be held accountable for this. And finally, they started to assemble a jury and the family was so relieved (gasps) Finally. But that was in March of 2020 is when that trial date was set. Oh, no. So obviously COVID happened. Everything shut down. So more years went by. Rick's attorney even passed away during this time. So that pushed them back even further. They're like, what do you do about that? You can have a whole new team. He didn't have to get a whole new team, luckily. He had like a partner guy that took Mm, over as like lead for him but finally in april of 2022 so just this past april yesterday mm -hmm, the trial went on and a key part of the defense's strategy at trial would, would be to show that the police had made their minds up about rick from the very beginning and sought evidence to prove his guilt instead of looking for evidence you know The DA, Matthew Gudansky, he planned to point out that the only thing pointing police toward Rick was all the concrete evidence that kept pointing (laughs) his way. I agree. He put state troopers on the stand to talk about how the crime scene looked staged, how the dogs tracked Rick's scent and only Rick's scent, and pointed out all the holes in Rick's story. And they also had a very compelling motive, a very pregnant girlfriend. They put Sarah Ganser on the stand, who testified that even before she was pregnant, Rick had talked about divorcing Connie. But she testified that Rick didn't seem under pressure to get a divorce, that she hadn't been pressuring him to get a divorce, that she wasn't looking to break up a family. She had told him that it was completely up to him if she even puts his name on the birth certificate, and that if he had said the word, no one would have ever even known that he was the father. Oh my gosh. The state thought Sarah's testimony would help their case, but it seemed to help the defense's case more. It certainly wasn't the rock-solid motive that the state had thought that it was. Right. Next, the state brings up all the electronic data that they said proved that Rick never left the property that day. and yeah, that Connie, that's my favorite part. Mm-hmm. And that Connie was alive for almost an hour longer than Rick said she was. 
Rick said he'd gotten back home before Connie, that he'd heard her coming in the house and immediately started screaming at her to run. But that story falls apart when you see Connie walking around getting her steps in. And that <laughs> that timeline, the Fitbit timeline, that matches with Rick's call to 911. Yeah. Connie's Fitbit shows that she stops moving at 10.05 and then the alarm is set off five minutes after that. And then Rick called the police five minutes after that. So is Rick, if Rick is to be believed, why did it take him an hour to make the call? His story does not fit with all of the other evidence like that does. I know. Literally the alarm. Why, were you, why are you Googling the YMCA? Like mm-hmm. none of it tracks. Right. The defense said that none of those, these electronics, especially the Fitbit, since that was like a huge piece of evidence. None of those things were ever meant to be used in a legal murder trial, that they weren't that trustworthy that you should be using them as evidence in a murder trial. And that yeah, but we all, use it all the time. That right. And they're like pretty accurate. I mean, like Listen, the, we're using cell phone tower pings in the early two thousands over here. Like I think in twenty twenty two we can look at whether or not you left home or you or the alarm system sounded like right. that seems accurate enough to me. Well, he said that they weren't all that trustworthy and that it wasn't outside of the realm of possibility that all of these electronics, because she's also sending messages to friends and she's also yeah. like, you know, so there's more things than just the Fitbit like that she's doing in the house. Right. But all of those things could have all had errors at the exact same time and that that they said the real evidence in this trial was the forensics, which showed all that unidentified DNA at every point that Rick said the intruder was, including on the gun, including in the closet, including on the safe, on the hatch. How could the DNA match Rick's story if Rick didn't even know where the DNA was going to end up? And then it ends up in all of these key places. Yeah, here's this is a hot take, mm-hmm. but I actually lean more towards trusting the electronics Mm -hmm. footprints than I actually do DNA just Mm -hmm. with trace DNA things Mm -hmm. like I I don't know people coming over in your neighborhood your friends coming through like I'm trusting more the electronic footprint than the random DNA that's like if we're talking truly not like blood spatter and like you know that type of stuff if we're talking about it just feels more reliable to you than right the DNA does no, I totally agree because we think that – we think of DNA as this like, oh, they found DNA. Like this infallible right. like thing that if but the DNA says the it, DNA doesn't lie. But uh, Gadansky, the DA, he followed that testimony up by calling a supervisor at the forensics lab who said that throughout his 30-year career that he'd been working in forensics – So much had changed, and that included the sensitivity of DNA testing. DNA can persist for years, and it can be expelled through the air if you cough, sneeze, or even talk, and it can end up feet away. DNA from a state trooper had been found on the safe, on the debate safe, and he said he'd never even touched the safe. That's what I'm saying. It's just DNA is like, it's just filthy in here. It's everywhere. Yeah. They're just germs and dead skin cells on everything. We want DNA to be the slam dunk in crime solving. And I think sometimes it can be. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes like if it matches up with other evidence, then that is like the smoking gun. Oh, and his DNA Mm -hmm. is all over this gun or, or whatever. 
But a lot of times it's open as much to interpretation as circumstantial evidence is. Like it's about interpretation. And guess who else's DNA was in all those six key points? You know? Yeah. So I don't know who that unidentified DNA belonged to, but his DNA was also found there. And I also, I don't know if that unidentified DNA was all the same person, was all the same DNA yeah, profile. Like I'm not just sure. I'm like assuming it was because why would they keep bringing it up if it wasn't? Mm-hmm. But they never and specifically said. Four, but I always wonder, not in this case, you know, because they like owned their home and lived there. But I always wonder like when there's murders and like rentals or apartments, I'm like three other people have lived in this house before me. I'm sure their DNA didn't just like leave when they did you know well, what i mean I've heard like stories about dna being found on like a coke can or whatever i it wasn't a coke can but wh- whatever it was yeah and it traced back to like somebody that worked in the manufacturing plant at the right. that manufactured the coke bottle or whatever it was yeah so like again i think there's often times that dna can be incredibly helpful especially yeah. if it's like a lot of it or like blood yeah, evidence it's like the or blood like yeah semen or like you know all the places your dna is like one day you just get a knock on the door like this contractor in this case like mm-hmm. he just does work on their house and all of a sudden he's wrapped up in a murder investigation like am i gonna get a knock on the door 10 years from now that's like uh you know the professor at texas state and you took his class freshman year you know what i mean like is mm-hmm. i it's everywhere mm-hmm and it lasts for a really long time. It lasts for years yeah. and years. Right. So there could be DNA all over the place that it's the thing that holds me up is if it's the same person and that person was in the master bedroom closet and then at the basement yeah. hatch and then also uh, on the safe and then also on the gun, like that does to me say that there was somebody mm-hmm. else there involved. But at this but point, then you add that with all of his stuff that's not adding up, like you didn't leave the house. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you pair all of that. Well, and then at this point, like you're in such deep water. You're on trial for murder. If you yeah. did like have a partner in this, if you did hire somebody to do this, aren't you just ratting them out at this point to try to like save yourself? Like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who this unidentified, but I don't I don't see. Well, we know you would now. <laughs> Yeah, I don't see a way – I don't see a way that Rick is not involved in this with yeah, all yeah. of the electronic evidence. I just – I don't. Rick took the stand in his own defense, which, like, to yeah, me – look, I know you shouldn't draw conclusions from stuff like this, but sometimes I judge books by covers, okay? And to me, if someone takes the stand in their own defense at a murder trial, it's one of two things, all right? They're an extreme narcissist a la Jodi Arias. Mm-hmm. Or they're innocent. Like that, honestly, to me, it's one of the, you're either very narcissistic or you're innocent. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't hate that. But you're took- not not innocent if you don't take it either. Correct. That doesn't know? mean anything to me. If you don't take right. the stand, that tells me nothing. But if you do right. take the stand, I'm thinking, okay, you are you a narcissist or you are innocent. Or, hmm. You got something to say. You got something to say. Yeah. I don't know. I And again, that is not. <laughs> that's not based in fact. That's is not that not your expert fact. opinion? That is not an expert opinion. That's just that's just how Sue sees it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss her. I know. 
Rick talked about how Connie's murder had irreversibly changed his and his children's lives for the worse. He talked about his affair with Sarah Ganser and how she hadn't put any pressure on him to leave Connie when she got pregnant. He talked about how Sarah had presented him with options and that if he decided to stay with Connie, she wouldn't tell anyone that he was the father of her baby. He repeated his story about the day of the murder, how there was an intruder in his closet, how he'd heard her come home and screamed that there was an intruder and for her to run, and the intruder had grabbed his hand and forced him to the ground and then ran out of the basement. That's another thing. Rick's story might have been totally bizarre and a little unbelievable, especially with the zip tying only half his body, but it never changed. I mean, he, you know, Mm -hmm. he would mess up some details, like he couldn't remember if he saw Connie being shot or not, but these big major points, they were consistent. Every single time he retold this story, those were always consistent. Rick said he ran after him, and then when he got to the basement, he heard the gun go off saw the flash of the gun, and watched Connie fall to the ground. This is what he says at trial. He said he fought the intruder off with the blowtorch, and then the intruder ran. So again, all of that is consistent, like, from the beginning. The big points of his story were still the same. But he had added in or changed some details that filled in some of the gaps on his timeline. He hadn't gone straight upstairs now. He'd stopped to make a coffee and had scrolled on his iPad for a while since he'd already told his boss he was going to be late. So that was like why it may be the timeline wasn't matching up what he said before. But like there's an intruder upstairs and you're like making coffee in here. Well, he thought it was the cat's. Like, the intruder wasn't making a ton of noise. It just just sounded like something. Some heavy-footed cats, my man. (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, I also think, like, if you come home and you have cats and you hear a weird noise in your house, you might think, intruder. And then you're like, you're being stupid. It's just the cats. You know, you just. So you tell yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? It's always the cats. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The district attorney, Gdansky, he got the chance to cross-examine Rick. And he accused him of making up a story that would make him look like a failed hero that had tried to save his wife. And he pressed him to answer questions about the inconsistencies in his story, that he and Connie had been home together for around half an hour before she was killed, and that Rick hadn't left the house that day. And Rick denied all of it. The whole time, Gdansky is cross-examining him, and I think the whole throughout this entire trial, Gdansky refers to the intruder only as Vin Diesel. <laughs> no. The whole Absolutely time. Not. The whole oh over and over again. I it love seemed him. like it was a way to emphasize how ridiculous Gdansky found Rick's oh, story. I love that move, though. But I did, too. But Rick held his own. He continued to deny, 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 and he was resolute. He was pretty convincing. Did Rick also call him Vin Diesel or did he call him the intruder? He would call him the intruder. Yeah. I need there to be a movie starring Vin Diesel called The Intruder. And I think and actually not about this he would even like correct Gdansky because when he's cross-examining him, Gdansky would be like, so you saw Vin Diesel in the closet? And and Rick would be like, I saw an intruder in the closet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which kind of probably so makes So after you saw Vin Diesel in the closet, uh, he chased you down the stairs. Yes. The intruder chased me down the stairs. I'm surprised the judge wasn't like, all right. I kind of am, too, to be honest. (laughs) You know, enough of this shit. He's probably enjoying it, too. Yes. But the jury was not convinced by Rick's story. It only took them a day and a half to find Rick guilty of murder. Nearly seven years had passed since Connie's murder, but finally it seemed like there was justice for her. Mm 
And Rick was sentenced to 65 years in prison. Oh, wow. How old were his boys? Six at, and nine at in 2015. So, so then they'd be like basically almost like 14, 14 and, and 17 now. Yeah. yeah. That's so tough. I know. And this whole wow. thing is so weird to me because it just is so avoidable. I mean, they're like you had so many I mean, other options. And even with this affair and this baby, like, you know, there's murders that happen without that whole, like, extra baggage. Mm-hmm. But it really seemed like, I, I don't know what is the truth, but if she was really not pressuring him and that was just like, I'll put John Doe on this birth certificate and, like, mm-hmm. go live my life, if that was mm-hmm. truly an option, then I don't know. I mean, I mean, you I couldn't be panicking, but. Like, you can't be that worried about. Connie finding out and divorcing you because you murdered her. So like, right. you're not worried about her at all. He said he was worried about losing his friends and his and like his family. I guess you know that should be my first red flag because who's worried about losing additional friends and social commitments past like forty? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> less is more. Well, they my were thirty nine. They were thirty nine. So oh, well, that explains they hadn't it. reached that. Yeah, they hadn't reached that pinnacle yet. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. All right, I'm going to try and go have a better day tomorrow. So I'm going to end <laughs> this one. It's okay. An emotional roller coaster. Emotional roller coaster. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to support, <laughs> I was like, me? I forgot we haven't done this part yet. I was like, getting ready to go. And I was like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> No, the people, Mogab. We're thanking oh, yeah, the people. Okay. I, was, I, I don't know why. I was like, okay, bye. I was like telling you goodbye. And you're like, well, thank you so much for listening. It was so kind. I was loving it. You are welcome. <laughs> uh, thank you to Finally, everybody Finally, I feel appreciated after episode 109. I've been thanked. Uh, and also thank you to our listeners for listening. So yeah, thank you cool too. so much. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram at Creepers Pod, Facebook. Uh, we have our Facebook discussion group. That's great. We're at 1.1K members what? now. I must have yes. missed that. Hey. Sometimes we're on Twitter. We also didn't talk about the Patreon, but we do have a Patreon, and you could join for as little as $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every month and a shout out on the podcast. It also gets you access to all of the bonus episodes that we've already done, and I think we've got like 16 or 17 up there right now, so you could have all that to binge. If you go to the $7 level, that would get you the mini creeps, which are shorter episodes. We do like two of those a month. And then we also have a $10 level that gets you ad-free episodes. And you get a card and a sticker. Oh, That's yeah. That's like my one calling in Sorry. this. Sorry. Card, <laughs> sticker, signed. The card is signed by MoGab and I and your sticker. That's at the $7 level. And then at the $10 level, you also uh, you get all of that plus your episodes ad-free and a discount on merch. So check it out at patreon.com slash Creepers. We would love that. That's a really, really awesome way to help support the podcast. And uh, otherwise, um, make sure you subscribe so that you know exactly when our next episode drops, when I'll tell MoGab another wild story. Bye, peeps and creeps.